I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe with you once again. Rob, what is up, man? Another Monday, Andrew. We made it again through another week of uh, isolation. And, um, yeah, here we are. And uh, we're still no, I guess, as we'll talk about later, we still don't know what's coming down the uh, pike from a college sports standpoint. But uh, we still have things to talk about, which are good. We do, yes. It, it, it is good. It's fun. Uh, a lot of football to talk about today. Uh, but, yeah, I did kind of want to start with uh, what you just addressed and then kind of what to expect because it seems like, well, I guess first of all, so here in, in central Iowa, in Knoxville on Friday night, we had a, a dirt right. track race. And right. spectators weren't allowed, but but several members of the media were. And the the photos and things and just the stories of those guys coming back from that were so interesting. You've covered so I mean countless games in Kinnick Stadium and, and I'm sure your list of other stadiums is is very impressive. Can you imagine what it would be like to cover a college football game with no or very few fans in attendance? No, it'd be weird to cover it. And just from, you know, the other angle is for um, the athletes, you know, Andrew, you think about, oh, no, we got to go on the road, you know, and face this hostile crowd. Well, teams coming into Kinnick, if there weren't any fans there, wouldn't have to deal with that. And then, you know, conversely, the Iowa players usually feed off of that crowd energy it wouldn't be there. So it's just to think about that is just really, and you know, we'll talk about this more obviously in this segment of the podcast, but you know, the, the varying models that are being put out there of what we might see when college sports come back, um, just are real intriguing. And as you said, with the Knoxville, uh, I just, it was, you know, the, the, just the, the return of sport itself is going to be a story and how it comes about and what it looks like. Um, and as many people try to are trying to figure out what it will look like, none of us really knows. No, it's, it's so interesting. And I think college sports, more than anything, is impacted by the crowd. You know, you, you think about college football and college basketball, especially uh, the atmosphere of these places is, is kind of what makes it special. You know, when you think of college football, you think of the Saturday morning, the tailgates, the crowd, the, you know, the, the roar. Um, you think of these stadiums and, and the reason you think of places like the big house and and, and you know, Happy Valley is because of these huge crowds. 
crowds at Kinnick Stadium and that north end zone and you know how the crowd's right on top of you and, and all this. I, I can I can envision baseball coming back and, and even the NFL coming back without fans and having it It'll, it'll be different, there's no doubt, but not having it impact the game as much, it's so hard for me to picture you know, Iowa and Iowa State playing in, in Kinnick Stadium this season with even a few hundred people in attendance, uh, but, but not you know, the 70,000 that we're used to. It's, it's, I guess if we get there, we'll get there. It's so hard for me to just even envision that. Yeah, and you look just in this specific case at Iowa's schedule this year, Andrew, and you've got, you know, that Friday night game up in Minneapolis. And you've got the game at the shoe against Ohio State. And you mentioned State College going to Penn State. And then you've got Iowa State, Wisconsin, and Nebraska all scheduled to come to Kinnick. Mm. You think about all those games and the atmospheres that they generate that there's a potential for them not to be there. And um, just how, I mean, that even is going to affect, you know, how you watch it on TV. Because even on TV, you can hear the crowd, you know, that's part of the experience. Absolutely. And without that being there is just, it's really kind of surreal to think about that being a possibility. Yeah, you, you, it's it'd be worth playing it right if if it's the only option right. let's play the games uh, you know however however that has to get done but man that'd be a real shame it'd be such a weird season or, or even part of a season if if there aren't fans and then you talk about that Friday night game I'd kind of forgotten that that got scheduled and you wonder. If this is if this does just become a TV show essentially, uh, which for a lot of people it already is, but if we're not looking to get seventy thousand people into into one place, do you know do more games move to a Friday night? Do more games do, do the time slots of these games change a little to to curate to the the television audience right. a little more? I think these are just all things we don't know yet. That's a good point. I mean, to try to get as many eyeballs on it as you can. Obviously, the college uh, colleges, the athletic departments are trying to make as much money as they can. So, you know, by having more games televised that, you know, just, you know, single standing games, whether that be, you know, the Big Ten has branched out a little bit, but do they play more Thursday and Friday games, as you said, to try to get more eyeballs, to generate more ad revenue, to generate more money for the athletic departments? Um, Yeah, just a lot of unanswered questions. And I thought, you know, one of the more interesting, um, I guess, uh, statements made last week, you know, between our podcast was when Mark Emmert uh, from the NCAA, the NCAA president, not the Des Moines Register writer, came out and said um, that he he just he doesn't see athletes being brought back to campus if the campuses are closed to the other students. And that's where we sit right now. Yeah. And that to me right now is the thing to focus on if you're looking to when we move forward with college athletics. When do these campuses open back up? And we're hearing people say, you know, you know, the Pac-12 commissioner saying that he doesn't expect there to be a delay in college football. And, you know, talking about bringing athletes back this summer. Well, you have to open the school. You have to open classes to regular students, according to what Mark Emmer's saying. But does he hold? I mean, does he is does he have the power to do that? Can a school just open and bring its athletes back? You know, it's 
this is going to get – I think this is going to be pretty um, muddy here yeah. because there, there's a lot of money involved. We know, Andrew, and that kind of is – that drives the ship. And at what point do, do do people just start jumping back in here? And how much of it is, you know, a state – one state being open and one state being closed and one governor saying, yes, you can have crowds and one governor saying you can't. I mean, it's this is going to be pretty messy, I think. I, I just don't see a clear path to everything being smooth because you have kind of phased reopening here at different parts of the country. Um, even and, and we talked about, you know, the Big Ten. Well, Big Ten expansion now has made it so it, we're not in the same. We're not just in one region of the com- country. It's spread out. It's half the country um, from the Midwest all the way back to the East Coast, with a lot of different things happening with this virus. Yeah, and a, and a lot of major cities. Uh, you're exactly right about that expansion piece of it. And then when you talk about uh, you know travel between schools, it'd right. be one thing if it was all very geographical, and you know it'd, it'd, it'd be easy for for Iowa's football team to bust to Madison. Not quite as easy to bus to Maryland. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's just so much of it that has to be taken into account. You know, it feels like for years we've kind of been leading up to this uh, final face-off between the NCAA's amateurism and, and calling these right. these people student-athletes and the, the big businesses that, that are college sports, especially football and men's basketball, and just the sheer amount of money involved in these things. And, yeah, you, you start to wonder – if that showdown is going to happen a little sooner than we thought, because as you said, you know how much power does the NCAA have? How much uh, how much control will they be able to exert over some schools and some regions and some conferences? You know, if the SEC all decide, hey, we're going to play football, they're going to find a way to play football, whether the the Pac-12 does or not. And so it's it's there's just so much speculation. I think that's part of it too, Rob. Is it's hard to. It feels like every day you're getting a, another little nugget from this commissioner or this school president or this head coach or this athletic director, and they're all coming from different areas. They're all coming from their own perspectives, and this is a big country, and it's very, very rare that we're all on the same page with one thing, and, and this virus is showing that it's affecting different people in different ways. You know, There are some places that have peaked and are on their way down, some places that are still on the way up, and so... To sit here and say you know for sure that in three months this is going to be the case, it just it feels like a fool's errand. And uh, I, like you, I cannot imagine bringing athletes back without the schools being open. And I think that's the first bit. If the schools don't open this fall, I don't see how we play a, a normal college football season. And it's also, I mean, this is. I guess more scientific than anything else, but there are are there are scientists, you know. And people who feel like people that are experts in this field that feel like there'll be, there'll be a second wave too. So, yeah. you know, what do you, what happens if, you know, I, I saw this kind of thrown out there as well. Um, you know, you use the Iowa uh, Minnesota game for example. Um, you know, during that week uh, of preparations, uh, somebody on Minnesota, a, a few players on Minnesota test positive for the virus and they have to go doing, you know, a 14 day quarantine, mm-hmm. the whole team. Then Iowa's game on that Friday is, is not going to going to be played. And when do you play that again now? Because you've got other teams that uh, are on the schedule. Do, where do you fit that game in? 
I mean, it just it just seems to me that there's going to be if football tries to come back as regularly scheduled at the end of August or the beginning of September, there are just going to be so many hurdles to clear and so many possibilities that are going to happen that it's really, as you said, Andrew, you have and and I get it. you, You know, we want information. And the people that are in charge, commissioners, Mark Emmert, um, you know, football coaches, they're being asked so many questions and they want to give answers, but there aren't any answers right now because we just don't know. It's a day to day thing. We're all it's society's living day to day right now. So to try to predict when sports are going to come back, as you said, is just a fool's errand. And now you're seeing progress in, you know, that amateurism aspect that you talked about we talked about um and we've talked about this before the name image likeness is now going forward so you're you're giving the athletes a little bit more of the pie and that amateurism is a little bit more blurred and you know maybe some of them say hey man i'm not coming back and playing football what what if the starting quarterback for Ohio State, and and this probably won't happen, but maybe there's guys that who had, you know, grandparents die Mm -hmm. or members of their family die and say, listen, I'm not getting paid. I'm not coming back there and putting myself at risk. I love the game, but I'm not doing that. And or if they do come back, Andrew, and somebody does catch it uh, and there's, you know, there's tragedy, you know, within a program or a conference or something like that. I just you got to really try to, you know, mitigate the risk here. We all want sports to come back. But and and I don't want to be considered somebody who's doomsday, but that's a possibility. Those possibilities are out there. And I know there are the people that are probably listening to this saying, ah, we can't shut down the country forever. Got to move forward, herd immunity, things like that. Uh, but that's easy to say when it's not you. Yes. I think you're exactly <laughs> right. I'm, I'm with you. And, and, you know, for those people, you're right. There is a best case scenario to be laid out where this, uh, you know, maybe isn't as deadly as we thought it was for whatever reason. We, we start to learn more about it. We uh, and, right. and over these next, you know, several weeks and months, uh, things do start to open back up. Things don't get worse. There isn't that second wave or, or another peak. And, you know, come fall, it, it seemed ridiculous that we were ever talking about postponing or canceling a, a college football season. I do think, though. That's best case scenario, and you know, it's. I'm hoping for that. I hope that that's the case. It's just really hard to see how all of these things, as we've talked about, would need to kind of fall in line um, everywhere. And that's the other thing, as you said. The sport is not regional really anymore geographically, and so what what happens in in Ohio does impact what Iowa football is going to do, and and several other states as well. So it's just such a big thing, and until we know more, and it feels like at this point, I mean, we're two months into this, it feels like we would have known more by now, uh, but it's it's still just all speculation, and you know we're all just kind of trying to feel through this thing together. Uh, Kirk Ferentz was on the Dan Patrick Show last week, and it was a, a good interview. It was a fun interview. Um, and and Dan asked Kirk, 
you know, what would you prefer to to start the season on time with no fans or to postpone it a little bit and, you know, find a time in maybe mid-October when fans can come? And Kirk said, you know, I, I think if it, if it was up to me in one man's opinion, I would start the season on time because then you start to think about, and again, these are things that you just have to consider pushing it back into finals because if, if we have a right. season, we probably have a semester and, uh, you know, what does this look like for these kids' coursework and, and holidays and the bowl season? And then, and then you start talking about how the impact on college basketball um it's just it's so much uh what would you prefer if 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 you had these two choices right where the season starts on time and for several games let's say for four weeks there's going to be no fans uh but things you you get the 12 games in it's it's as close to a normal college football season as we can have or we postpone things four five six weeks and play a shortened season that's been delayed a bit, but we get fans in there for every game. Which one of those is preferable to you? Yeah, and it's interesting, too. We talked about this, excuse me, before we started um, recording about what Jamie Pollard said last week, that there could be like a hierarchy of fans Mm. where some fans, maybe the big money fans that can go into the suites, can get in there where they can social distance. Now you're putting some fans ahead of other fans. So there's that aspect, too. I don't want to go down that road too far, but that's just another one of the models that could happen. Um, For me, Andrew, and and maybe I view this maybe a different, than, than the, the fans would I think the fans would want to wait until obviously they can go and watch the games yeah. that's you know more of an so. easy decision for them to watch them in person when you're talking about people that are season ticket holders for me maybe this sounds like a cop out I want what's best for the athletes yeah. I want what's best for them from a health perspective and I want what's best for them from a training perspective and Kirk and we've talked about this on the podcast Kirk and Chris Doyle have both said ideally you want that eight weeks to get them ready whenever that can start four weeks of uh strength and conditioning to get their bodies physically ready to hit and and play the game of football again and then four weeks of practicing football and now maybe that's condensed to six weeks and the football is just not as good because there's two weeks less less of on-field practice but i think those four weeks of strength and conditioning because otherwise you, you 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 raise the risk of guys getting hurt and then you know losing players that way and these guys only have a certain window of time to play their careers they could lose seasons to that that really to me is how this thing should be decided it should be the health and welfare of the student athletes that to me that's where it comes down to yeah and, and i hope and and i, I think so but and probably not across the board, but I do hope that the people in leadership who are making these decisions do have that, you know, in in their minds when they're when they decide to, to do whatever they they're going to do. Uh, I, I believe that that's the case, at least for the vast majority of people that that do have these, even in a business as big and as uh, as expensive and rich as college football. That uh, for the most part, the leaders have the the athletes in mind and, and the health of the people, not just the. The, the players, but the coaches and the fans and the support staff and, and all of it, the media as well. Um, I, I mentioned that Kirk Ferentz interview on Dan Patrick. Uh, some cool stuff in there. Uh, cool to hear him talk about Tristan Wirfs and uh, what he's going to be like for the Bucks. One of my favorite things was, you know, we talk to Kirk fairly regularly, and so it feels like you know 2008 was so long ago, um, and it's been a while since Kirk has been linked to an NFL job. I think you know at, at this point we all kind of assume he's going to stay at Iowa till he retires. Um, 
But Dan Patrick asked, hey, how close were you to taking the Browns job in, in 2008? And Kurt kind of laid out his whole career at Iowa and said, you know, I've I've always thought I need a compelling reason to leave. And it's not that somewhere else is better. It's it's that something here isn't right. And he's never had that, that reason. In, in the nine seasons, he was under Hayden Fry as an assistant. And now the 21 as the head coach. Uh, he's, he's enjoyed living in Iowa City. He's had his sons go through the program. He and Mary have a good time. He feels like he has fulfilled all the, all the job uh, opportunities he could ever want. Uh, it was just a really kind of cool monologue for a couple of minutes there on, on national radio and, and uh, national television in, in some aspects. Uh, just a really good infomercial, really, for, for the Iowa program and Iowa City and, and coming to school at Iowa. It was uh, I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, I agree, Andrew. And, you know, we've talked to him throughout his career about, you know, the potential to move on to the NFL. And I don't know if it was around that time. It may have been that time or it may have been before that when the Jacksonville job came up. But he always had, I think for Kirk, there were a few things that always, you know, rose a few aspects of the job that always rose above everything else. And if he was going to go to the NFL and he said this. He said, you know, I'll go to the NFL when I'm like close to retirement age and, you know, I can go and give it a shot. And if my ass gets shot off, it's not that big of a deal. And that always stuck with me. And the reason some of the jobs that he looked at earlier on in his career were jobs where he could have player control, play, you know, player control decisions, personnel decisions like Belichick has or Andy Reid or somebody who has the ability or you have somebody that you're working with that you see eye to eye with in player personnel decisions. And I think that was always a big deal for him. So that was always going to make it difficult for it to be the right job because he had to have some owner and franchise that said, we're going to give this guy the job and then we're also going to give him player personnel decisions that's hard to come by he had a few instances where that could have been the case and i think those are the jobs he looked at but ultimately i think the thing that in addition to him loving iowa city and fitting well within iowa and the iowa program it's that he has the say of what goes on in his program there and that's how he's been able to build a culture here is there aren't rebels and guys going all you know rogue in his program he's able to control that and he's had a good relationship with his athletic director the presidents of the university all of those things are really important to kirk he's uh as good as he is as a football coach he's really good as a ceo too of knowing what it takes to run something as big as a college football program i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We talk about the culture that he has built over the the 21 years as, as the head man, and we're seeing that really come through in this recruiting, uh, this latest recruiting class. And we've talked about this uh, uh, the last couple of podcasts, but uh, the the big name that came out since the last time you and I have talked, Rob, is, is Keegan Johnson. And 
it's I, I don't know I, I don't follow recruiting enough to know how good he is or how big of a get he is I'll let you kind of tell me that but I will say it's it's one thing to pull uh, you know a Brody Brecht out of Ankeny where he might go to Iowa State it's one thing to grab it you know an in-state kid out of uh, away from Iowa State and that's fun and it's great and I think he'll be a good Hawkeye but it's another thing to go into Nebraska and find a kid who's a Nebraska legacy um, and, and a program that has you know history far greater than yours uh, and, and to pull him out. And as, I think as your column said and a lot of people noted, it was that game, what, five, six, seven years ago where Nebraska's athletic director said, you know, we have to evaluate where Iowa is as a program. And since then, the evaluation is pretty clear, Rob. Iowa is a far better football program right now than Nebraska is. And guys like Keegan Johnson coming to Iowa over Nebraska is just another another sign of that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, and I know you're not going down the road that you, that we expect this, you know, that guys that from, are from Omaha or Nebraska, they're just going to immediately start flocking to Iowa. But this is notable just because he's a Nebraska legacy. His father, Clester Johnson, uh, was on the national, cha- he was a teammate of Scott Frost. <laughs> you know, so that's, when you look at it that way, how notable that is. And, when I talked to him last week, I was like, was this hard? I mean, was it hard to turn? I don't, know, I don't even think I use turn your back because that's I, I, it, sometimes we, we get caught up in these narratives of this. And yes. he just said to me, you know, it, I wanted to go where I felt was it was the best spot for me, not where my my dad was the best spot for my dad. And. I wanted to make my own legacy. I wanted to have my own path. And I, I think that's admirable. And, and this is just one situation. This is one kid, but it's notable because of the story and his dad and the relationship with Nebraska and him being from Bellevue, Nebraska and growing up there. And, you know, for him to look at the Iowa program and see that as a better fit for him, you know, is certainly notable. And, you know, Iowa has just emerged right now as the better football program, and it's really incumbent upon Nebraska to catch up. And this is a bad sign for them. And <laughs> they've got to look at that, but also not say, you know, the, you know, uh, too major of a deal. You got to kind of keep it in perspective, too. It's one kid and one situation, but it's obviously a notable story in terms of what type of player he is. He told me, and and this is a big thing in recruiting now, Andrew, players like to be comped. They they like to see guys in a program or or who have been through a program recently that they can see themselves fitting into that role. Right. He sees himself in the the Amir Smith-Marset role. That's kind of his. And if you watch the film, you can... Whereas Arlen Bruce, who they picked up from Kansas City a few weeks ago, sees himself more in the Tyrone Tracy mold. And then you mentioned Brody Brecht, more of the Brandon Smith mold, 6'3", 6'4", big guy, outside receiver. So they love those comps. So if fans are listening to this and you're looking for comps for the three receivers that happen to uh, verbally commit in this class, Arlen Bruce, Tyrone Tracy, um, Keegan Johnson, Amir Smith-Marset, 
uh, Brody Brecht, Brandon Smith. Now that's not doesn't mean they're going to be exactly like those guys, but those are the molds that they they see themselves coming in at. Well, those are three guys. Yeah, if we if we can keep three guys like that on the roster at, at any given time, I'd I'd certainly be down for that. <laughs> and you understand why fans gravitated towards this. I mean, as far as the rivalry, this is just such a delicious morsel to to go into Nebraska and, and take one of their uh, legacy recruits. Um, it's it's fun for Twitter. It's fun for for things like this. You know, hopefully he's a great player and hopefully it's the right fit and, and all of that stuff and good on him for for having the, an open mind um you know i think as fans we often think uh, try to put ourselves in those shoes you know and, and i've thought for a long time I've, i grew up a hawkeye fan i've never liked any other team uh it, it's it's one of those things where no matter how good i was and i was never good but no matter how good i was i would have gone to iowa you know under any circumstance <laughs> because i i had to have been a hawkeye and so if you come from a mindset like that uh, who's never had to make a decision like this uh it's it's kind of fun to say hey he he should have wanted to go to nebraska and he, he chose iowa uh and, and another yeah another side note on this from an Iowa perspective Andrew and you know this I think this is a really good sign for Iowa's wide receiver position yes. which not that long ago we were all rightfully so pretty critical of and of where it was at and recruiting at the position and another thing that that Keegan Johnson mem- uh, mentioned was how big of a role not only LeVar Woods, the the who built the start build, started building a relationship with him early on in his high school career, but Kelton Copeland and what he's been able to do with that wide re- receiver position, it's come a long, long way in the last five years. Or how? Oh, well, I guess Kelton's been here three years, but the transformation and the progress that position has made within the Iowa program is really notable. It it absolutely is, and you're right. Even three or four years ago, it was it felt like I was never going to have another a great wide receiver and now all of a sudden it feels like uh, an embarrassing embarrassment of riches uh, I guess how much of that do you put on Kelton Copeland and, and what he's been able to do in his first few seasons as a Hawkeye I think it's Kelton Copeland and I think it's a combination with him and Brian Ferentz we're seeing things mm-hmm. that we didn't see a lot of previously we're seeing you know reverses and jet sweeps and different ways of getting the receiver the ball in space and those aspects weren't there. So now, you know, when a Keegan Johnson or an Arlen Bruce or a Brody Brecht are looking at the program, they see that position being featured. They see that they can have success with the ball in their hands when they get to Iowa instead of running down the field. Remember the the the. Uh, the old narrative was the Iowa receivers were in great shape because they would just run wind sprints down the field <laughs> right. and never get the ball, or they would block. Yeah, you know that was their job. They would just block for the running game. Now they're seeing themselves being part of the offense, and I think there are you know there are several people that are responsible for that. And Kelton Copeland and Brian Ferentz are certainly two of the main ones. Not not all great on the recruiting front in the in the last week. Iowa did lose a recruit in uh, Florida DB Jordan Oladukun. Uh, we, we don't know exactly how to say his Good last enough. name. Jordan O. Um, you know, I think for people who don't follow recruiting closely, they may not understand how fluid this thing can be. Uh, is this a big deal in your mind that, that he decided to, to go elsewhere? Yeah, it's always a bummer to lose a kid that you want who decided that uh – you know, at, at least in his mind, at one point, you were the school for him. But a couple things of note here are he never visited Iowa, which to me, when that happened mm. and he committed and I asked him, his his high school teammate at uh, down in Tampa is um, 
is Ricky Parks, who's a four-star running back who I was in pretty well with, who wants to take an official visit here, who's visited here before. And I think he kind of was talking to him about what Iowa was like, but he still needs to see the campus. And, and you know, what we talked about at the top of this podcast and COVID and the virus and not, you know, things being changed around in this country. In terms of college sports, recruiting has been one of the aspects that have been hit the hardest. I mean, recruiting the spring into the summer is the biggest time for recruiting throughout the whole year. I mean, it's official visits. whole month of May is college coaches being able to go out around the country. I mean, it's the open period. They go to high school in the country, watch these guys play spring football or AAU basketball or, you know, whatever, softball, baseball, whatever the sports are. This is when they can, you know, meet with recruits face to face. And not having that ability right now is a real drawback. And you're seeing... I think you're seeing some kids commit because they're afraid of losing their spots, mm. losing that scholarship offer because a position is filling up. And I, and I worry a little bit, Andrew, that maybe that kind of that aspect of it is something we'll see more decommits happening when things do open back up. I just it's something to keep an eye on for people to keep an eye on just because it's really a lot different, whereas college sports especially football and basketball there's not really much going on in the spring and summer competition wise but recruiting is the big thing that goes on during that period of time so that may be the thing that's impacted most yeah you know we talked last week about just kind of the stability of Iowa's program and the culture that's been built there and how attractive that must be to kids uh, in this kind of unstable time in this uncertain time where you don't really know what's coming you you do kind of know what to expect when you go to Iowa and when you commit to them and it will be interesting to see if things kind of get back to normal and uh, if, if some kids decide, hey, you know what, maybe that stability isn't as attractive now uh, because uh, the, the rest of the world has has stabilized some. Well, Rob, a good, no, yeah, a go good thing for Iowa, Andrew, I will add in and close on this topic is the kids that have committed that we've just talked about, Keegan Johnson and Brody Brecht and Bo Stevens and, you know, uh, Arlen Bruce, they've all visited Iowa multiple times whether it be last summer or in the fall or getting to the junior Jays that Iowa was able to get in at the beginning of this year. So I think Iowa, Jordan was the one guy who hadn't visited and he was the one guy that I was kind of concerned about. So I think I I wouldn't, I I think the other guy, the other 14 guys that have committed in this class have all visited and kind of know what they're getting themselves into. So I think that helps Iowa. That's good to know. That's, that's good information. Uh, moving from guys coming into the program to guys leaving the program, I, I, I teased this last week. I planned to get to it last week, and then uh, turned out we had enough to talk about without it. And so uh, I did want to get to this as we're a couple of weeks now past the the NFL draft. But uh, obviously, Iowa had uh, had five guys selected in this this draft. What nine over the last two drafts? So uh, a big thing, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of young guys going. Uh, but looking ahead to kind of this roster, this this upcoming season, and looking at where these guys. Um, may get drafted, who may get drafted, you know, is there another first rounder in this crop, uh, those sorts of things. So you have a great column, HawkeyeNation.com. People can still check that out, uh, go back in the archives just a little bit to find 
who's next when you're looking at the uh, the future NFL draft picks and just kind of want to quickly go through some of these guys with you Rob um, obviously I think the big name a guy that coming into this last season we all we all thought maybe going along with Tristan Wirfs and AJ Epinesa uh, was Alaric Jackson now obviously he had some some health issues and, and didn't quite have the season he expected to have uh, in his junior year and, and I think made the right decision in deciding to come back uh, ultimately we'll find out but um Man, he's going to end up being a four-year starter uh, at, at Iowa at tackle, which is incredible. Um, does he have a chance to get into the first round for next season? I think so, Andrew. I do. As you said, I mean, four-year starter at left tackle at Iowa, that carries a lot of weight with it. That's going to get a lot of people watching your film no matter what. And, you know, a lot of scouts bringing you in for personal workouts and interviews and things like that. He'll be at the Combine. Um, he's a really good athlete. He's an underrated athlete. He was a basketball player in high school, a really good basketball player. Um, and one of the, I guess, um, developmental aspects of his career at Iowa was getting himself in in the best shape he could be in to 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 play at the highest level and he's done a really good job of that he's worked really hard with coach Doyle on on shaping his body uh and then worked with you know the coach both coach Ferrances and coach Polasek in in uh you know working on fundamentals and footwork and things like that and I I just think depending on what we see for a college football season again going back to then and going back to that, if he can get another full season in uh, of competition at the Big Ten level with really good defensive linemen, um, I certainly can see him moving into that first round. You know, we talk about the kind of disadvantage that Iowa is at breaking in a new quarterback in these in this time where you don't have spring football and everything's a little different than it normally is. But what a luxury to have a guy like that as your left tackle if you're if you're Spencer Peters coming into this season. Yeah, you've got him at left tackle. You've got Linderbaum with a season under his belt at center. Uh, Coy Cronk coming in after starting 40 games in Indiana. Uh, you know, Kyler Schott. You've got experience on the offensive line. Uh, Cole Banwart, Mark Kallenberger. Should be a good offensive line. We just talked about the really good receiver core that's coming back. Um, you know, Sam Laporta at tight end. Sean Byer at tight end. Uh, Tyler Goodson at running back. If you're cu- going to be a quarterback breaking in he's uh he's as good a shape as any quarterback uh breaking in at Iowa in a long time man I bet a lot of listeners are like me right now you just put a huge smile on my face just listening (laughs) just listening that that returning roster uh, for this this Hawkeye offense. I'm I'm super excited about this season. Hopefully it gets played. Uh, but man, I can't wait to see some of those guys uh, back out on the field. Uh, Chauncey Golston, an- another guy that I think a lot of people thought may may go um, and, and probably would have been a draft pick this year, but decided to come back and, and give it another year at Iowa. Uh, where do you see his ceiling at if, if he has a great season? I think he could move it into that day two, that second, third round. I think he's got a chance to do that. Possibly first round. It's hard to say. You never want to say a guy can't get to that level. But I think second or third round is a reasonable uh, goal for him. Um, 
the thing with Chauncey is he's kind of been overshadowed here, you know, recently at that position, but he's really had time to develop his body. Another guy, uh, you know, who, who was a basketball player in high school and kind of had to develop into a, a big 10 football body. But um, he, if you've watched him, he's gotten better every year at a different aspect of the game. He's always been disruptive. I mean, going back to the pinstripe ball, he, he had a play in that game where you're like, wow, this guy's got a chance and he's continued to build on that uh he, you know in terms of i he's really good against the run i think that's really his strength right now it's containing the edge and getting you know being um you know, a solid holding up against the run. The next step for him, in my mind, Andrew, is being more of a consistent pass rusher, and he'll have an opportunity to do that next year. Yeah, could have a breakout season as as more eyes are focused on him, both in a, in a good and bad way. Uh, a guy who had a, who had a breakout season, especially like the second half of last season, Amir Smith Marset, uh, in in those final few games and in the bowl game, uh, the. The speed he showed, the the agility, um, he was so much fun to watch. And and I think probably, uh, and and I know you put this in your column as well, I think the way he ended that season on such a high note, uh, very likely, uh, again, could have been an NFL draft pick this season had he decided to do that. Uh, but, But he decided to come back and... I guess I expect him to, to be obviously be a huge factor in the offense uh, with some of those reverses and things, not just his pass-catching abilities, but then also as, as a kick returner where he's one of the premier kick returners in the country. Um, Amir Smith-Marset, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to see what he's able to do and really kind of have – uh, he had a breakout season this this past season. I feel like for Hawkeye fans and for the Big Ten, it feels like he could really have like a national breakout season this year. Yeah, I think he has that potential, Andrew. And um, you know, I remember asking him at the bowl press conference because you know there was we talked to, with all those guys that had you know the underclassmen that had uh, you know a possibility of coming out, and, and I kind of got that vibe from Geno Stone that he was leaning towards coming out, and then I got to Amir, and he's just like, "Nope, coming back, unfinished business." Oh, and awesome. so he knew, you know late in that season that no matter what was happening, he want, he wanted to come back. And, and, uh, I think it, uh, you know, he's a guy that early on in his career, I don't know if you remember this, that, that Kirk and Kelton Copeland kind of called out publicly in terms of being on his phone too much. Um, you know, and, uh, maybe not having full dedication or just was still in the process of understanding what it took to be successful at this level. And he's done such a good job of doing that. He's become a team leader. Guys start to gravitate towards him. I think he's a, he's a huge key on this team, not only what he can bring physically uh, and skill-wise, but uh, – people gravitate to him and follow him. And I I think he's got, I think he understands now what it takes to be a leader. And I think that's going to attract NFL teams. In addition to, as you said, that ability to not only be a receiver, but to be a return guy, NFL teams, 53 man roster. You want guys that can do multiple things for you. He is one of those guys. I think the next hurdle or, you know, one of the last hurdles for him, Andrew is just being consistent, not having the drops, being more precise with his routes. If he can hold, hone in on all that stuff and have a whole season to do that, he's got a chance. He's got a chance to break through. It's been a while since Iowa's had a receiver in the NFL. He may be the guy. 
His versatility, I think you're exactly right, is, is has to be very attractive to, to NFL teams looking at him. A guy whose size is more of an NFL thing as a receiver, Brandon Smith, uh, I, I think he's he's more of the prototypical NFL receiver. Uh, obviously, injuries uh, hampered him this, this past season, but uh, again, another chance for him to, to have another uh, a breakout season and, and really put his name into the, into the NFL here. Yeah, last year was a bummer. I know you you felt this way too. That just he was really starting to break out, man. Yeah. That catch he had against Penn State, and then he gets hurt, and because he was leading the team in receptions and yards and all that stuff. And he had he that connection hurt. with Stanley. It felt like that they they really yeah. really had a good connection. Yeah, he was a guy um, that you know. He's a he's a guy that can win those balls. You throw the jump ball. He's the guy that can win those balls, and that's such a security blanket for quarterbacks. And I think uh, with another season of being able to put that on film, it's going to make him attractive to the NFL. And he's a guy who I think as an NFL receiver and, and something he's really gotten better at at Iowa is becoming a very good blocker. He's a big dude who definitely helps in the running game and NFL teams will be able to see that as well. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how Iowa's kind of becoming a defensive back factory or has been, you know, for, for a while, but certainly more recently. Uh, is Matt Hankins the, the next Iowa D back to, to make a name for himself in the NFL? He's got a chance. I, I really think he does. He's got, uh, you know, Two years of starting under his belt at Iowa in Iowa's secondary, and that's going to get people's attention uh, with Will, with Phil Parker's um, reputation is with NFL teams. He'll get a long look. Again, like a lot of these other guys we've talked about, Andrew, it's a consistency thing. It's just being good more often. Uh, guys make mistakes. Guys get beat on plays. But just being consistent more often, I think, is the, the hurdle for a lot of these guys to show that they can be and, – and we've seen it time and time again at Iowa, guys in their senior seasons really emerge and lock down that consistency that maybe has been missing earlier in their careers. I think that that exactly what you just said probably applies to Nick Neiman. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, we saw his brother win a Super Bowl for, for the Chiefs uh, in February, and then he's coming into his senior season, uh, has played well and, and had some highlights, but uh, just not, not the consistency you're, you're looking for, but maybe in his redshirt senior season he can find that. Yep. Yeah, and the thing with with Nick is, I think he's maybe even a better athlete than Ben was, and that's saying something because Ben's a really good athlete. I think the interesting thing with Nick to keep an eye on this year, Andrew, is Seth Wallace has said, you know, this is a guy who's played Leo, and that's what Ben played. Um, but Iowa with the four two five is kind of changing its defensive looks a lot more often, and I think Seth Wallace sees Nick as an inside guy this year, perhaps middle linebacker, perhaps playing some time at the will, but he sees him inside. And that's another aspect. When NFL teams see he can play inside or outside, that makes him that much more attractive. We talked about the 53-man roster and having versatility. I think Nick's going to get a chance to show that this year. Cole Banwart, a redshirt senior on the offensive line. Again, he's a, he, another guy who battled injury and, and is going to try to come back and, and make a big statement with his senior season. Uh, you think he has a chance to, to be drafted? I think he does have a chance. He's played really well when he's been healthy. It's just been the injuries that have uh, really derailed him. He's been every the last two seasons, every game he's been healthy, he's started. So that gives you an idea of how much confidence the Iowa coaching staff has in him. He just has to stay on the field and be able to, you know, not to sound like a broken record, show consistency. Looking at tight end, Sean Beyer. Um, 
does he have the athleticism to to kind of uh, you know break out on the other side? You know, Iowa has shown that, that they can they can have a couple of tight ends who are standouts. Does, does he have the athleticism as a receiver to to turn NFL people's heads? Yes, I think he has the athleticism. It's just more with him. It's more. Um, Technical, Andrew, he's got to become a better route runner, uh, more precise in his routes. Uh, I think he has the hands, and I think the coaches think he has the hands, but has to be able to show that more. He is an exceptional athlete. He's a kid that played, um, who wrestled through his junior year at high school in Cedar Rapids. Kennedy was a really good wrestler. I think he made it to state. I could be off on that. Didn't want to wrestle anymore, and then joined the basketball team and ended up being a starter on the basketball team. So that gives you an idea of what type of athlete he is and at his high school his senior season he played quarterback running back receiver tight end linebacker defensive end he's a guy kennedy used all over the field so as another guy who's dealt with injuries which i think has slowed his development but he stayed healthy most of last year this is he's one of those guys that this offseason not having a spring ball i think hurt a lot because he was able he would have been able to take that next step but if he can do that during the season and just become he just hasn't played tight end a lot because he's been injured and he played all over the field in high school it's again he just needs to have some time at that position i think he has that ability i think he has that you know you, you look at a guy like nate weeding who signed a free agent contract with with cleveland after this season he didn't get a lot of looks in the passing game but he, he showed enough that team a team was willing to take a chance on him i i think buyer has that ability Coy Kronk, a guy that we, we haven't seen play a lot, or at least not in a Hawkeye uniform, haven't seen him ever in a Hawkeye uniform, but did start 40 games for, for Indiana uh, as left tackle and, and does plan to come in and uh, and put put together a good season. I think the, the tutelage he'll get with this coaching staff and, and maybe the eyeballs on him uh, as a member of, of what should be a good Hawkeye offensive line uh, certainly puts him in a position where he could be an NFL draft pick next year. Yeah, Andrew, you can't teach 6'5", 320. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a big boy. And, uh, you know, starting 40 games at a Big Ten school says a lot about, um, you know, his ability. And I'll be interested to see what another guy who really would have benefited from spring and having a chance to get into Iowa's system. But, uh, you know, he does have experience at another school. And hopefully when Iowa does get back, he'll be able to hit the ground running, obviously. Gives him more time to heal back from his injury that cost him last season. But uh, I'll be interested to see if you know where he fits in is he a guy that's going to move inside now after that injury maybe not having as much mobility does he take over for worse at right tackle does mark kallenberger end up being the better guy to play right tackle and Kronk move inside to maybe left guard that you know that was the the spring was supposed to be used for figuring those things out but there's still things that need to be figured out it's been uh, several drafts in a row now that Iowa has had underclassmen picked. And, and so you, in, in your column at HawkeyeNation.com, uh, reach for a, a couple of underclassmen who may be uh, looking to leave Iowa early. Davion Nixon, uh, kind of the first big name that, that you come up with here and uh, certainly could have a breakout season as a Red Cert junior. Yeah, I think uh, he's kind of waited his turn, and uh, he is athletically freakish. And, uh, you know, 6'3", 300-plus on the inside – 
if you remember last year, there were times, especially towards the end of the year, where, where AJ was getting double teamed and they were trying to figure out ways to get him loose. He and AJ would flip and AJ would move into defensive tackle and Davion would flip out to end. And he's got that ability to play end, even though he fits better at tackle. Um, I think a full season of, of uh, playing for him as a starter, which I expect him to be, he's going to be on the radar of a lot of NFL teams by the end of the next season. Now you put a name here, Rob. <laughs> you, you you put a name here that I, I imagine the uh, the message boards weren't super happy about. <laughs> Tyler Linderbaum, just a redshirt sophomore, uh, obviously had a, a great season last year and, and kind of uh, you know, came onto the scene. You think there's a chance he goes next year? It's a good question. I have no idea. I haven't talked to him about this, and I'm not sure. Knowing Tyler, he's uh, he's a pretty good uh, poker player type where he's <laughs> not going to give away what he's thinking. But uh, it was interesting. I put this in here without doing a lot of research about what other, you know, maybe national pundits or, you know, these early mock drafts were doing. And I thought I would get blowback for this, but there were other – uh, you know, media outlets out there that had Linderbaum listed in their top hundred prospects. So I got saved by that. I guess it was uh, other people seeing what I saw, and that's when he was when he was on this year, Andrew. He was a beast. I mean, he was. He looked like an NFL center. Now again. People are rolling the eye, their eyes at me listening to this <laughs> consistency. He had some games where things didn't go well, particularly the Michigan game and the Penn State game where he was playing against high-level defensive linemen who knew what they were doing. He had some struggles. And if he can put together a season where he doesn't have as many of those type hiccups – He's an NFL center. There's no doubt in my mind. It's just a matter of when it's going to be and when he wants to go. I I have a tendency just to speculate that I think he would want another season and maybe come out after his redshirt junior year. But who knows? Who knows how this thing shakes out and if he may put himself in the position to be a second-day pick you know, second, third round, he probably has something to think about. Man, Rob, that was fun, man. I, I, I really enjoyed just kind of buckling down and talking football for a while and, you know, not, <laughs> not any of the other stuff surrounding it. So thank you for that column and thank you for, for allowing me to kind of go through that guy by guy. Hopefully in January you and I are talking about, you know, a, a completed college football season, uh, another great year for the Hawkeyes and, and kind of where we think these guys are going to be drafted. Um, I, I hope that, that I hope that's the case. Uh, I'm you know, crossing my fingers. A couple of other things I wanted to highlight quickly before we get out of here, Rob. You have a couple of pieces uh, on the basketball side of things up at HawkeyeNation.com and one that I really enjoyed uh, was was the Josh Agundale. Uh, his his mindset coming in, you could see how a guy like him coming in with a Luca Garza in front of him, would, especially in the current kind of transfer culture where guys expect to come in and, and play right away and if they don't they'll, they'll go find somewhere else. Uh, but it, it seems like in your conversations with him, He's he's coming in with the mindset that, hey, if, if Garza goes, I'm ready and, and I'll, I'll play more and, and I'm, I'll be an impact player and, and I'm ready to do that. If he if he stays, I have essentially a year worth of education to get from the best big man in college basketball. I love that mindset and I think it fits so well uh, with Iowa and this program. Yeah, and like we talked about before, we were recording um, this piece and the two pieces on uh, the the Murrays, the one that I've already 
published and probably by the time most people listen to this, I'll have posted the second one. Uh, for, I posted the one on Keegan yesterday, Sunday, and then I'll post the one on Chris today. Maybe we can dive into these more next week. Andrew, just kind of what we're expecting from some of these new guys and kind of what they bring to the roster and possible fits. But yeah, just as an overview with Joshua Gundale, that that mindset of you know him saying he, can, he he's in a no lose situation, and that's what you want. That's what you want coming in a guy that is willing to learn behind Luca Garza and and welcomes that, or welcomes the opportunity to replace Luca Garza or at least step in and and get some of those minutes that Luca would leave if he went to the NBA. Um, is refreshing. You don't want a guy that's just going to say, hey, you know, man, I hope he leaves for the NBA so I can get my minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's nice to hear that. And, uh, you know, Josh is a is a really cool guy to talk to. I'm looking forward to when he gets to uh, gets to Iowa. He's got uh, he's got the heavy uh, British accent and um, just as a really smart and fun interview. So, yeah, I I look forward to, to seeing him on this roster and, and these, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have time to talk more about the uh, the basketball roster and how it shakes out and how many bodies there are and, uh, you know, how fun that could be, that season could be um, in future podcasts. But, yeah, that uh, that was a fun interview, and I, I'm glad to see he's doing well. He's back in, uh, he's back in London with his mom. Uh, he was playing prep school in New England. Obviously, all the schools around the country had to close, so he ended up going back with his mom. And he's got a uh, a personal trainer out there, and he's working out every day to try to get better and prepare himself for whenever he does arrive at Iowa. And I like that. Yeah, let's tease that a little bit for for next week. Uh, we can kind of go player by player and, and kind of look at this incoming class and uh, talk about some of the interviews you've had with them and the, you know the Murray brothers, Josh, all these guys, and kind of yeah, where, and the, where I, they're going to fit. And in. like you said, we've done stories now on all five of. Of the incoming freshmen and they've all talked about what they think their roles are going to be what Fran talked to them about so yeah we can dive into that a little bit moving forward I love it I love it this is so much fun uh, you know every every week it seems like Rob I come in here and you and I chat a little bit before we hit record and I'm like alright if you know if we can get 25 minutes I'll feel pretty good about this <laughs> and then I sit here you know almost an hour later and, and feel like we could we could still talk for a while so this has been fun uh, I appreciate it obviously you have your, your mailbag podcast which I love I, I'm, I'm such a big fan of that I, I listen to it every week as soon as you post it uh, but obviously then all the all the the prospect stories you're doing the prospect podcast uh, Dave Schwartz with his 10 sentences all the, the great stuff Rick Brown is doing just a lot of cool stuff right now at HawkeyeNation.com yeah I would agree and uh, yeah Rick wrote a story last week kind of on what we talked about earlier he wrote a column just kind of on the dynamic he had such a good um, uh, he paints such a good picture of what you know of the past uh, of Iowa history and he kind of talked about you know when Hayden came in and just the original you know rivalry between Nebraska and Iowa because they used to play every year back then and kind of he, he took us through the time to where it is now so I thought that was a really good piece and then Dave talked about recruiting as well in his column because that's kind of the big thing right now it's what's the newsy thing that's going on in Iowa athletics right now. I did a, my latest prospect podcast is with Reggie Bracey, uh, who's a defensive back at a mobile Alabama. Iowa starting to get down into the South a little bit now with Derek Foster, uh, an Alabama native helping Iowa get, you know, get into that sec country a little bit. Uh, we see Tyler Goodson here, obviously. Um, and, and Reggie really good interview with him. And he talked about his desire to play that cash position. We talk a lot about guys that, 
that fit that position. It looks like the vision for him is to be recruited. And we don't hear this a lot. It's about converting guys to that position. He looks like a guy that's being recruited to play that position. So I thought that was interesting on that podcast. We'll have a, uh, a Hawkeye uh, history podcast tomorrow with Albert Young, former running back. I recorded that at the end of last week, so that will drop on Tuesday. Like you said, we'll have the mailbag on Wednesday, um, and then I've got some other stuff where I'm working on this week. So yeah, plenty of content still rolling at Hawkeye Nation. Yeah, and you know, you talk about the Hawkeye history podcast. I meant to plug, and I, I loved the Jess Settles conversation. That was so much fun. Just hearing him tell stories, he, he's such a good guy, and, and that was great. So if people haven't listened to that, definitely go back in the feed and, and, and do that. You, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I appreciate Jess taking an hour out of his time in the fields. He farms in uh, Winfield, Iowa, as a lot of people know, and he took time out from from uh, his planting to to talk to us. And yes, I would agree with you, Andrew. He carried that thing. A lot of great stories from Jess. All right, Rob, this this was fun as always. We'll do it again next week, and uh, thank you, and enjoy your you know whatever day it is. Yeah, that sounds like a plan, and uh, we'll just see how the, we'll, we'll muddle through the rest of this week until we're, we're back together on Monday. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for listening, and go Hawks.